We are in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 32. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot in their paths. For their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I, in turn, will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. This is the word of the Lord. If uh, you're a church regular here, uh, we're starting a few weeks in uh, the book of Proverbs uh, over the summer months. And uh, that's good news because it'll make us all much wiser. Let's pray. Let's pray as we look at it together. Our great God and Father, thank you that we, when we turn to the scriptures, we don't just find uh, instructions. We find your living word that you breathe on us to shape us, transform us, and change us. Please, please be at that work this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in very simple terms, if I ask you, do you want to be wise? Of course, you're going to say, yes. Uh, I'd be pretty unusual to say, would you like to be wise? 
No, I prefer stupid. Um, not many people are going to give you uh, that answer. If you ask parents, would you like your children, would you like Willow to grow up to be a wise girl, woman? No, daft and irresponsible, please. No one's going to say that. You're going to say, yes, of course, wisdom. Well, the claim of this book of Proverbs is that it's fast-forwarding the gaining of wisdom. And most of us think wisdom is something you gain with years, and that is true, although not inevitably. I still uh, find myself doing things which are daft. I observe that in people older than me. They are still capable of making decisions which are silly. But uh, gradually, we accumulate wisdom. Proverbs promises you can get there faster if you listen to these words. You can, for, this works for some of a certain generation, you can be Yoda without the wrinkles. You can gain wisdom without being 900 years old. Um, you can get there a little bit faster, according to the book of Proverbs. Wisdom, then, not just knowledge. Knowledge takes work to accumulate, but wisdom is more. In the old adage, uh, adage Knowledge, well, knowing that tomato is a fruit is knowledge. Knowing you don't put it in a fruit salad is wisdom. You know, you can know something, but there's a time and a place for it. Wisdom is knowledge in the right context, in the right place. Um, something in the paper yesterday reflecting on, it seems amazing. A year ago, a trust government was about to begin. It seems so long ago, doesn't it? And uh, in September 22, we had the... Um, uh, phenomenon of the, uh, the the mini budget, the September mini budgets, the quasi quartang, uh, which sent the financial markets and the economy just spinning, spinning, spinning. Now, by all accounts, there is a man with great knowledge. He has a PhD in economics. I don't. Um, so he's much brighter, much more knowledgeable in that genre than me. And yet, there's an issue of timing and communication, and clearly there was a lack of wisdom, despite vast knowledge. You can know lots, but wisdom, competency in the complexities of life, knowing how to deploy knowledge, ah, that just takes a little bit more time. So what is wisdom? Wisdom, the, the skill to navigate the maze of life, probably, is, is not one pretty decent definition. I think biblically, you'd have to say, yes, it's it's um, competence in the complexity of life, the ability to navigate the maze of life to your benefit and that of the community. It's always got those two perspectives in uh, certainly the book of Proverbs. Your wise living, yes, it'll benefit you, but yes, it'll also benefit the society, the community that you live in. One without the other is actually not wisdom at all. And rules aren't enough. It's a striking biblically uh, uh, we've been looking at this fairly recently the evening um, in the book of Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3, and God comes to Solomon and says, Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you anything that you want. That's quite, a, that's quite an offer from uh, the ruler of the universe. What do you want? And wisdom says, excuse me, Solomon says, wisdom. I want wisdom. God doesn't say to him, what are you talking about? I've given you the Scriptures. I've given you uh, the Ten Commandments and all the laws associated. I've given you a lot. Yeah, yeah. Rules, laws, all very helpful. Prescriptions, very helpful. But wisdom, how do you deploy those at the right time in the right way? Do I 
trust this man or not? Do I buy from this salesperson or not? Do I buy a car or not, this car or that car? I mean, those are tiny decisions in the scheme of things, but they're wisdom. So that's what we're talking about for the next, uh, uh, over the summer months, competence in the complexities of life. Now, most of the book is a sort of pithy one-liners. You can flick through it and, and see that, and that's what most people think of. I think probably better a, I know, better a, a dry crust with honour, says uh, the writer. Uh, that's much better than a house full of feasting with strife. You know, you're better to have not a lot but be happy than have ample but miserable all the time. Yes, that sort of uh, combination, those one-liners dominate. But chapters one to nine, which is where we're going to spend our time over the summer, they're an introduction to the book. Twelve poems which, in essence, want to persuade you to live a life of wisdom. Uh, They recognize in these nine chapters at the beginning yeah, we all want wisdom. No one's going to say, if I ask, you know, show of hands, who wants wisdom? Hey, who wants stupidity? You know, we all know that. But in the moment, sometimes we make the wrong choices. So these are nine chapters persuading us. No, you really do want this. You really do. We'll work through it like this, chapter one. If you want wisdom, that's really what the first seven verses introduce. If you want wisdom, then don't walk with sinners. Don't spurn wisdom, but fear the Lord. Okay, let's go through it. If you want wisdom, here's what you do. Verses 1 to 7 are the introduction to the whole book. It's the purpose of uh, the book of Proverbs. Chapter 1, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. I don't think he wrote them all, but they're all gathered while he was the king. Here's the purpose. Verse 2, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. That's quite a motto. Here's what this book's going to achieve for you. Quite a summary. And you might, um, perhaps uh, the two things I think are emphasized really there. There's, there's knowledge, yes, but again, character is stressed. Do you see that verses two and three of the gaining? Well, there's lots of, uh, wisdom has lots of friends that go with it. Uh, Wisdom, instruction, understanding, prudent behavior, uh, discretion. Those are all the mates that wisdom hangs out with. But if I could summarize it, that character. You see verse two and three, receive instruction, yes, but what does it do? It makes you do what is right and just and fair. Again, knowing the truth is not enough. What this book promises is it shapes you. That the wisdom of God changes you internally. And there's an ethical dimension to it. Wisdom is never just, oh, look at that bloke. He's brilliant. He's really shrewd in the marketplace. That's not wisdom. That's shrewdness. Wisdom has a moral element to it. You do what is right and just and fair as well. So there's the ethical, but also there's an understanding element to it throughout this little section. So uh, verse 2, it's for understanding words of insight. You get to the end, verse 6, understanding proverbs and parables um, and lots of synonyms throughout. Essentially, the more you absorb what's here, the more you're changed, both in your thinking and your character. You could take a massive lump of marble and someone stick a label on it. This is beautiful. 
well, marble is quite nice. It sort of does something. But the artist then hammers away, what do they do? Chisel away, chisel away, chisel away at the thing and eventually sculpts the thinker by Rodin or something very beautiful. Oh, it takes time. You don't just declare it. It's worked upon the marble. It's changed it. Eventually, you get something very, very different. It was there, but it's been revealed. And just so with the book of Proverbs, reading them alone, just sticking them on your fridge doesn't make you wise. They've got to go to work on you, chisel you away and reveal, well, the character that God made you to be, transform you, make you more like Jesus over time. That's the purpose. Just briefly, the, the audience worth noting, uh, verses 4 and 5. Well, who, who are these Proverbs for? Well, primarily, verse 4, they give prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Uh, simple in the hit doesn't mean stupid. Oh, you look at these, it's a bit simple, that one over there. Uh, it just means um, you haven't made up your mind, uncommitted, haven't quite chosen a path yet, someone without much life experience. And primarily, the book is written in that sense for the young person starting off in life. See that particularly verses 8 and 9, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. But, verse 5, it's also for those who've gained some wisdom. Verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. So you're never too old to grow in wisdom. Still learning still being changed as the years roll by. So its purpose then, well, it's going to change you, uh, make you wise. It's for everyone. And very briefly, and then we really get going to the rest of the chapter. Verse 7, here's the foundation of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord. A little phrase that will come up elsewhere in the book as well. The fear of the Lord. Not a craven terror. Not, I've got to hide. You see the contrast here in verse 7. You fear the Lord, you listen to him. Fools do not. And um, that comes throughout the book. Fear of the Lord becomes a synonym for humility throughout the book. Uh, Chapter 28, verse 26, he who trusts himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. The fear of the Lord is, I trust him, I don't rely on myself. Or my favorite little definition, remember, uh, writer Charles Bridges, the fear of the Lord, affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. I think it's excellent. An affectionate, I love you, reverence, but I recognize who you are, by which the child of God, I know him as my father, says, I bow the knee to you. I listen to you. Those things combined together. There are lots of good portrayals in literature. One of the most helpful or best known possibly is, is um, C.S. Lewis's Aslan as a figure who is to be 
feared. Now, uh, when he was writing the books, uh, C.S. Lewis, he was adamant, never, never put this on screen, never turn them into TV shows or films, because then this character I've created in everyone's imagination, this extraordinary lion who talks and is all wise and everyone loves, but is also scared of, it'd just be like a lion um, that talks. Uh, and certainly when I was a child, the BBC did a version. It was quite sweet, but it was like a puppet you know, and this sort of thing came on like this, and you think it's quite hard to be impressed by Aslan when there's a man inside. He's, you know, with, like about as scary as our lion uh, that comes on in the kids' slot, hopeless. Now, these days they can do a bit better with CGI and all those things, but still. But in the books, it does come through, I think, a bit more. Numerous places. Prince Caspian, one of the books. Lucy Pevensey, one of the kids. She's um, in trouble. And she's desperately seeking Aslan. I've I got to find him. We're in trouble. There's no way we're going to be rescued unless I can find Aslan. At one point, uh, she's, getting, she's on a horse and she's riding through a forest and she's you know, getting a little upset and tearful. I'm never going to find him. I'm never going to find him. And um, then all of a sudden, she sees him. Ah, oh, it's Aslan, and she starts, oh, great, there you are, thank goodness I found you. And he roars at her, and she falls off her horse. And like, oh, that's like a bit scary for kids. Um, and she gets up and, oh, wants to run towards him because she loves him, and yet he's pretty scary, right? Um, he is the king, and so she sort of bows to her knee, and he says, come, child. And then she runs to him. And that wonderful sense of, I love him. There is none like him. He's in charge. And yeah, but I, I mean, he is, you know, he's not my mate. <laughs> uh, I do respect him. I, I give him due deference there. That, says the writer to Proverbs, is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning. It's where it all begins. You can't really grow in wisdom without that, like numbers are to maths, one writer puts it, as letters are to writing, as notes are to music. You can have a go, but without those things, you, got not, you, you can't even start. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And at that point, of course, some will say, well, I know lots of wise people, and they're not Christians. Yeah, but hold on. It's, I think the writer, and you, you work your way through the book, would say it's necessary for a few reasons. One, when life goes wrong, you need to know that there's a, someone in charge. You know, Friday afternoon I spent uh, w with a peer and um, very, all of a sudden out of nowhere, boom, very severe cancer. Stage four, very scary for him, his wife, kids. What do I do now? Oh, there is a God who is in charge, even of this. That gives me a framework to move through life that I wouldn't have otherwise. Another reason it's necessary in the book of Proverbs is sometimes life isn't fair and it doesn't look straightforward. And the book of Proverbs would say, yes, but there is an ultimate day of justice. And sometimes you need to know in the chaos of this world that a perfect one is coming. And the only thing that will keep you living wisely and not corruptly 
is knowing that justice actually does come later on. Chapter 12, verse 28, in the way of righteousness, there's life along that path is immortality. You need to know that there's an eternity coming. That'll keep you living wisely, even here and now. I guess the last way that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom is that nothing changes you like him. You can accumulate several PhDs. You can get vast knowledge. You can have enormous experience in your industry, not just theoretical knowledge, but practical knowledge. But nothing changes you like the fear of the Lord because he's not just knowledge. He's a person. God has come and walked this planet as Jesus Christ. You can certainly read about him, but he's still alive. He's risen. You can know him. He'll change you. Mere knowledge can't change you in the way that a person who is the Lord of the universe can change you. So that, I think, is just a few things that elsewhere that the book of Proverbs would say. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, wisdom. It'll put out elsewhere. You can't get it apart from him. So there's some very practical things. Let's get to say. Uh, two warnings. Two warnings to, uh, to the youth or the one who wants to grow in wisdom. Don't walk with sinners. Don't spurn wisdom. Let's go through these quickly. First, don't walk with sinners. Uh, Verse 8, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. There are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Watch out, my son, verse 10. If sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Now, at this point, this is the description and uh, verses 11 to 14 are what the sinners say. It's a bit of a caricature in one sense. Not many are this crass. But listen to the language here. Here's what they say. There are two great appeals that they make. One, there's financial gain. But two, join our gang. Verse 11, if they say, come along with us, let us lie in wait for innocent blood. Let us ambush some harmless soul. Let us swallow them alive like the grave and whole, like those who get down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We'll all share the loot. Come and join us. We'll make some money, but come and join us. The appeal of the gang is always strong. It is particularly strong when you're young, but it's always strong, the appeal to be part of the gang. This little gang, I don't know, maybe think Oliver Twist, uh, whatever version, the book, numerous films, Lionel Bart musical, um, whichever version you, you like. But in the musical, which is obviously not the best, but anyways, but, um, you know, Oliver appears in this gang with Bill Sykes uh, and Fagan and all the, the, the gang, Consider yourself at home. Consider yourself one of the family. You know, we're stealing and killing, but <laughs> uh, we have a song and a dance with it as well. And, uh, oh, I can belong, I can belong, I can belong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to belong, you've got to pick a pocket or two. Now, they're songs, of course. But, um, of course, there's the same sentiment in the film or the book originally. What's the appeal for Oliver joining this criminal gang? He's joined a gang. He belongs. And we're a bit stupid if we don't think we ever, if we think we lose that appeal to belong to the gang if we're teen, 20, 
50, 70. It's always there, that appeal. Timeless. Could be as simple as come and join the County Lions gang. You can make some money running these drugs for us as a teenager. Or it can be come and join our racist gang and we can feel pathetically superior over this by being rude to the others. Come and join our trans gang and we'll feel morally superior as we, as we attack violently the TERFs who disregard our views. There's always a gang looking down on others, being unkind to others. Could be stealing, could be verbally, plenty of gangs on Twitter. But come and join our gang and you'll feel at home even as we're unkind to the others. The father responds, son, don't join them. Verse 15, my son, don't go along with them. Don't set foot on their paths. Their feet rush into evil. They're swift to shed blood. And do you see what happens? I mean, again, it's a very stark description. He's painting in very bold colors here. But in the end, they get their comeuppance. They've said, verse 11, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. And what happens, verse 18, actually, they're lying in wait for their own blood. Comeuppance comes. Justice comes to them. Verse 19, these are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Physical life or just a lost life, a wasted life in, or in this case, low-level criminal activity or violent criminal activity. But the language the father uses, and it becomes very important in the book of Proverbs, is how are you walking? That's what he asks. Verse 15, don't set put on, foot on their paths. Verse 19, such are the paths of those who go after ill-gotten gain. Which way are you walking? Now, it's a sort of question that parents ask their kids all the time, you know, or, or, or the comment that a parent might make to a kid. See, they get a bit older, teenage years. Uh, I'm not sure that's a great gang you're hanging out with. You know, sometimes uh, uh, mom or dad will say, I'm, I, you know, are they a good influence upon you? Um, or we like, oh, yes, do go to whatever, Mildred's house. Mildred? Um, you know, we think she's a good influence. I did it. I'm sorry if there's a Mildred here. I don't know any Mildreds. Um, that sort of, uh, it's not necessarily at this point, it's not making a calamitous mistake. It's just, which path are you walking on? Is it leading you somewhere wise? Are people helping on that path helping you become wise? Oh, it's not too bad. Oh, I know you overstated. They're, 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 good, they're, good, they're good mates, really. But is it wise? And where does the path go? And where does it lead? Or is it foolish? Yeah, at the moment, it's, it's neither here nor there, really. But it's not sensible. And you're walking down a path that ends badly. And sometimes we don't even see it. There's a bloke in the evening congregation here. It's just a couple of weeks, well, a month ago or something. Uh, he said, yeah, I see it now. I didn't see it at the time, but I had a year, 18 months. The guys I was hanging out with, I mean, I know it's a sort of naff thing that your parents say to you when you're a teenager, but I'm a bit older than that now. And, uh, but yeah, they got me involved in the drugs and therefore I needed a little bit of money. So a little bit of, you know, white collar, Let's hive off this bit of money here. And, you know. and unfortunately, I think, I didn't end up with a criminal record, but I did end up in hospital 
because of the stupid things that I did with them. And I thought, it's fine. It's fine. They're fine. And now I look back and think, it's just a really stupid gang to hang out with. Now, that's a 20-something who's made a mistake and it's not ended that badly. But I guess for, for you and me, the question is, which paths are we walking on? And are they wisdom? Are we walking with people that make us, help us make good decisions? Or are they saying, be part of our gang. It's a laugh. We'll have a laugh. Maybe do something we shouldn't do. It is, but where does it lead? And can we even see which path we're on, which gang we're with? So the father says, don't walk with sinners. And then lastly here, uh, don't spurn wisdom. Briefly, 20 to uh, pretty much to the end. So wisdom here gets personified. There's still the words of the father, I think, but wisdom is personified as a woman. And she's very unladylike, verse 20. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square on top of the walls. She cries out at the city gates. She makes her speech. Um, the important places she's speaking, the, 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 the top of the wall, the center of commerce at the city gates. There's a passionate crying out that she makes. It's as if in the 21st century, she goes to the city, the square mile, and starts shouting in the streets and then to the royal courts of justice and shouts outside, uh, eventually uh, makes it down to outside parliament and she's screaming at them. It's very, um, I mean, very uncouth in one sense, very demonstrative. And what is her little sermon that she's shouting? Verse 22. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I'll pour out my thoughts to you. I'll make known to you my teachings. What are you doing? What on earth are you doing? Why don't you listen? But they don't. And so verse 24, since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, you disregard my advice, you don't accept my rebuke, I'll laugh when disaster comes at you. I don't think we're meant to think vindictive laughter, but there's a relief. Justice comes eventually here. And in the end, the chapter ends, verse 32, 33, the waywardness of the simple will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. Whoever listens to me, they'll live in safety and be at ease without fear. So what do you do with wisdom this morning? It's actually not a question for tomorrow or next year. What do you do with wisdom today? Are you... The writer would say, listening to wisdom, or does most of your week, are you listening to foolishness? Listening to rejection of wisdom? And in the end, chapter one, again, it is a cry to fear the Lord. It begins with the, look, you need a humility to listen to your maker you need the humility to say, I, I need the instruction of my creator. Now, chapter one, let's be honest with it. It's not a very flattering portrayal of you and me. And you say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not foolish. I'm, I'm one of the wise ones. Well, wisdom looks like, according to 
lady wisdom, you hear the rebuke. You ask yourself the question, where am I walking? You repent where you need to do so. Wisdom begins with saying, I need to listen to the maker. In, um, I'm not sure how well this, uh, the musical does it. Anyway, Oliver Twist, back to Oliver Twist. You know how Oliver finally breaks out of uh, the gang? Um, he tries to nick a handkerchief from uh, Mr. Brownlow. I think it's Brownlow. Mr. Brownlow, he tries to nick a handkerchief, but he's caught. But rather than just handing him over to the police, Mr. Brownlow says, talks to him, engages him. Okay, you're a, takes him into his home, uh, feeds him cares for him, nurses Oliver back to health. He's got that sort of violent flu thing, hasn't he? Nurses him back to health, cares for him, educates him. And slowly, Oliver thinks, hold on a minute. This is kindness. <laughs> this is wisdom. What I was in before, that's not wisdom. That's not clever. This is wisdom. And slowly, not just he picks up more knowledge, oh, that's criminal activity and all oh, that bloke, Bill Sykes, he really is nasty piece of work. He's changed. He's changed by the kindness of Mr. Brownlow and the housekeeper and the others around. He blossoms and is transformed. And God says to you and to me in uh, Proverbs chapter 1, listen and be changed by the well, in one sense, similar, by the unmerited kindness of my son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, he, he came to this earth and he spoke wisdom and you want to listen to his words. But he went more than beyond just speaking wisdom. He demonstrated kindness to you. He went and died on a cross. Why? For everything you've done wrong. He doesn't just give you wisdom. He takes away all that you have done wrong. See, we don't find ourselves, that. we read Proverbs 1 and think, well, silly people and I'm a nice person. But biblically, naturally, we're all the fools. We all grow up as those who mock the wisdom of God. That's inherently, naturally, how we're now wired. And we need to repent, as Lady Wisdom says, and turn back to God as our King. Here in Proverbs 1, the writer says, listen to the Father, my son. You get to the New Testament, and the message is just even better. <laughs> listen to God the Father, and you become his son or daughter. Trust that Jesus is the wise one. Trust that he's died for all you've done wrong. You become a daughter you become a son, and you will be transformed by his wisdom. It'll happen. But it all begins by fearing him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A reverent affection. A recognition that there's no one who loves you like Jesus, and you want to love him. But he's the king. You need to obey as well. The fear of the Lord is where it begins. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that uh, you know precisely what we need. You're a very good father. You know we do need rebukes. We do need telling off. We need warning that sometimes we're walking in foolish 
paths. Thank you that in the scriptures you give us what we need. Thank you that uh, this book of Proverbs doesn't just give us knowledge, but it changes us so we can do what is right and fair and good. Of course, Lord, we want to be those who are shrewd, who can navigate the maze of the complex world, but to do so also in a manner which is right and noble and fair and good. Father, if we desire that, would we begin where wisdom begins, with fearing you, with trusting Jesus, listening to his voice. We do ask it in his name. Amen.